0: The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness Personal Training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Welcome back, Internet Fitness Family. This is the Fitness Reborn podcast. I'm Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training. And my guest this morning is Christian Jordanoff. Christian is coming to us from Portugal, all right, which is kind of cool in itself. I wasn't expecting that, but uh, yeah, Christian is an author, a health consultant, and an educator, and that just that is a very minimal slay of summing him up. And of course, we'll get into the 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 weeds of that a little bit more here. But Christian, thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure to be on with you, brother.
0: Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for reaching out. And, um, you know, I flipped through your website, of course, and it's all really cool stuff here. And, uh, thank you. Well, real, yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'm interested in, you know, just kind of starting off with is like, what, what's your background? Cause you're in, you, you are, you're deep into a lot of things here. So, I mean, what's your background? Uh,
1: my background is I've always, I've always been into different things since I was a kid mm-hmm. and it's, I remember someone joked, I I used to work in IT as well, and somebody used to joke with me, it's like, dude, your CV must be 25 pages long, isn't it? Because I'd constantly be telling them about my my latest thing, my newest hobby, this, that, the other. So my my background is I start, in in terms of the the fitness and health stuff, I started with personal training back in 2008. Um, Didn't pursue it too much. I've trained Thai boxing in terms of sports the most. I've spent maybe... 3 4 years training total thai boxing i've done one amateur fight um uh at the age of 30 i did it uh so that's kind of my my sport my the major part of my my sports background Although i've dabbled in other sports a lot um i've also done sports massage and event massage that which was part of um uh an ov- a larger neuromuscular therapy course that I never finished because I met my now wife while I was doing it, but I did get the sports massage and event massage certification. And so around 2018 is where I started to really get deeper into kind of, kind of functional health, functional medicine, this kind of stuff. So that's when I started doing various courses in um, Buteyko breathing, for example, was one I studied with. One of the foremost breathing experts in the world called um, uh, Patrick McKeown in Ireland. He's written like 11 books at this point. Um, I also, so my main qualification, I consider functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. That would be my thing. And that's where I learned how to use lab testing to truly understand the root causes of chronic health problems and how to really address them at a at a deep level. So we can have um, truly, uh, uh, truly long lasting improvements in, in a person's health.
0: So that uh, that one technique you just mentioned uh, was it bioku breathing? But- Buteiko. Buteiko, I'm sorry. Mm. But- Buteiko breathing. So yeah, um, tell us more about that because I had never heard about that before.
1: So uh, Doctor Konstantin Butteko, uh, he was I think he was U- Ukrainian or Russian. I think he was Ukrainian, and I think back in the 80s he came up with this. He basically he was a doctor. <clears throat> And he saw that the the sicker people get in the hospital, the more they the shallow they tend to breathe. And the sicker a person is, the closer they are to dying, the more they breathe through the mouth, the, the more shallow their breathing is. So he came up with very basic and simple breathing re education techniques that focus mainly on um relearning or teaching the person to relearn, to remember that they need to breathe through the nose all of the time. And when I say all of the time, sure, if you're doing like a, a max squat, max deadlift or a sprint, it sure. doesn't really matter how you're breathing for 20 seconds. of, of Or if you're doing Wim Hof for like two, two three minutes, it doesn't really that matter. But the rest of the time, breathing should be nasal. So only in and out through the nose. And actually, it shouldn't be what you hear a lot of, um, I guess... Uh, less experienced uh, coaches out there telling people to take, you know, a, a deep breath, and take deep breaths. No, the breathing shouldn't really be deep in that way. Breathing should be actually quite um, light. So uh, Patrick has a kind of a, a catchphrase, breathe light, to breathe right, and I think it was Lao Tzu that said, or some ancient uh philosopher mystic said, the 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 true warrior or the perfected warrior or man or whatever it was, uh, their breathing is imperceptible. So the more optimal your breathing is, the more the less people around you should be able to see that you're actually breathing. So uh, your diaphragm and your tummy should very uh, gently and gradually uh, come in and out, and it should be taken uh, between between. 10 to 14 breaths a minute. So what um, Patrick is teaching is that a lot of people's health problems are stemming from, uh, quote-unquote, chronic hyperventilation, which is kind of the more medical term, but basically breathing too much, over-breathing. So the Buteyko exercises are literally little, uh, you, hold your, you pinch your nose, you do little breath holds, uh, maybe with walking, uh, if you're a bit more advanced, you could do it, if you're a sports person, you could do it whilst running. You could literally hold your breath on an out-breath so you're actually teaching your body to to kind of maintain your levels of CO2. So the whole premise is when we breathe too much or we over-breathe, we expel too much carbon dioxide. And the, the idea uh, behind breathing uh, light and breathing right, so breathing less of a volume of air per minute, is that it maintains our carbon dioxide levels otherwise the ph of the blood r- literally changes and without that carbon dioxide in the blood oxygen does not sort of get released from hemoglobin to the tissues to the cells it's called the bohr effect so you can you can look it up on on wikipedia but you need a, a very specific level of ph in the blood uh, which is mediated by carbon dioxide in order for optimal oxygenation of the tissues in the cells to occur so this is what um Buteco is all about of course patrick took it much further now he, he also does oxygen advantage which is he works with athletes SWAT, swat teams and stuff like that so he's taken it much further but the basic premise is we need to breathe less breathe through the nose not over breathe and not take too deep breaths and um With these simple little breath hold, take six or seven exercises. We can do that in in the space of a month or two. You could re-educate yourself to breathe more optimally.
0: Why is it more important to breathe through your nose as opposed to your mouth?
1: So, first of all, as as I already mentioned, when you breathe through the mouth or Mm -hmm. over-breathe, but Mm -hmm. both, you expel too much carbon dioxide, and that Mm -hmm. already causes a shift in blood chemistry, the pH of the blood changes. And then you have suboptimal release of oxygen from hemoglobin. So that's one thing. The other thing is that, and anyone listening can can try this experiment, if you go <gasps> through the mouth 10 or 20 times, you can feel your pulse rising. So that breathing through the mouth like that actually activates the sympathetic slash fight or flight nervous system so when you actually so how do you get someone to calm down uh uh you tell them you know relax breathe slowly in fact if someone is having a panic attack and you give them a paper bag to blow in what are they doing they're they're, they're breathing back their carbon dioxide into the bag so they're returning that carbon dioxide that they're they've expelled causing the panic attack they're breathing Putting it back, so they're kind of re re um, establishing that carbon dioxide level in the blood. So that's a couple of things. And another one is just the the nose is a much better has a much better filtration mechanism for various allergens and pollen and whatever else. So there's quite a number of reasons. But if you take anybody with asthma or sleep apnea, or um, even kids with ADHD, uh, if you, you know, oftentimes they, they will uh, mouth breathe or all of the time. If you can help them to re-educate themselves about how to breathe, you know, through the nose, uh, which includes with, with, with adults, we tape the mouth at night with some 3M micropore tape. They generally a lot of the, like the asthma improves, sleep apnea can improve, anxiety improves. And um, kids with ADHD, in fact, they can actually their attention and their cognition can actually also improve.
0: So taping their mouth shut i mean is, that's uh it's as easy as that it's kind of curing sleep apnea, and so the, all these machines like these uh these uh, breathing machines that people have at night to help them supply with oxygen that they are you know uh, losing obviously as they sleep all none of that is necessary
1: well it depends on with, with all of these uh interventions it always depends on how far down the road of degeneration a person is with these kids the younger you get somebody or the, or the it's kind of the earlier on in the <clears throat> disease progression quote unquote the the more chance you're going to have <clears throat> so uh to 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 um restore health to to, to its former to, to its former level but you know if someone's been on a cpap machine for 20 years we we, we can't expect uh uh, sometimes maybe we can expect them to to return to no CPAP machine, but at the very least we can improve it, right? So with um with breathing reeducation, what we are really relying upon is the the plasticity of the brain, so neuroplasticity. So within, um, I guess it could be between sixty and ninety days. It's enough for for these changes. If you if you reinforce the habit through the, again, the exercises, taping the mouth at night, you are actually through, through again, through via neuroplasticity, you are rewiring your brain and nervous system to, to live this way, to be in this modality. So a lot of things will, uh, uh, at least the things that had the pathogenesis rooted in the, the mouth breathing or the suboptimal breathing over breathing or whatever it was, those things will get alleviated. But let's say if you were like 10 years down the line, let's say with asthma or some, or some other thing or COPD, uh, Chronic obst- uh, obstructive obstructive pulmonary disorder. I think it was if there is <clears throat> tissue generation or scarification, things like that, it's a lot harder then to. So we, we're kind of working with at a disadvantage, with a handicap in in those instances. But to answer your question, the sooner you you start intervening with certain certain modalities like like breathing, the higher the chance that you will be able to again not need uh you know CPAP machines or any other sort of uh technological interventions
0: so is it fair to say like someone is a like a someone is a small child or a very young adult if they already are a mouth breather mm-hmm. then they're already kind of susceptible to things like see, uh, sleep apnea
1: yeah absolutely I, I in my in my book in the last chapter in chapter 12 i cite the paper um i think carol Bonnock is the the lead um researcher there so the paper was called something along the lines of, it's about um, sleep disordered, children at three years of age with sleep disordered breathing had a higher percentage uh, or or a higher likelihood of requiring, uh, of having special education needs at age eight, right? So um, a lot of, like, at least, you know, if, if you talk to Patrick, most he can find uh, suboptimal breathing or mouth breathing or or over breathing he can find uh, and show you that as a call co- as, as not necessarily as a causal factor or at the very least a contributing factor to pretty much any any ailment right
0: interesting huh. yeah so all right so you you got into um breathing and proper breathing techniques and stuff like that. You're also involved in gut health, right? Mm. So, so metabolic health, which I've had a number of guests on this program. We've uh, spoken at great length about, Um, I think it's universally, I think understood and accepted that gut health is supremely important. It's called now, you know, it's called your second brain because everything that's happening down here, it's being digested, obviously is going to be disseminated everywhere else. Yeah, Um, And so, you know, um, brain fog has a lot to do with metabolic disorders and things mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, of course it's far more reaching than that, but how'd you, uh, how'd you get into, uh, how'd you find your way into gut health and how does that kind of, um, what, what does that potentiate for things like ADHD and in autism? Cause I see that you're big into that. You've got a podcast devoted to childhood, uh, autism, isn't that correct?
1: Yeah yeah well my podcast used to be called Autism and Children's Health it was all uh-huh. about the research of my book which is on autism but I recently changed it to Children's Health podcast because I found a lot of the topics I cover it's not just uh families with autistic kids that will benefit from the information for example I talk about let's say seed oils we mm-hmm. should all families should be eliminating seed oils as much as possible from from their kids from their whole family's diet so I just disco- uh, uh, decided to have a more wider, um, uh, 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 more breadth with, the with the podcast. So it's all children's health now, but Mm -hmm. yeah, so gut health, I'll tell you, (laughs) I kind of, one of the reasons, uh, so many of the things that I'm good at, um, improving in terms of people's health at some point or another, I suffer from myself. So sleep problems, attention problems, um, uh you know a a number of things so back in 20 kind of 2018 I guess early nine twenty nineteen, 2019 I was experimenting with various different diets so I tried I tried everything dude I tried I've I've been vegan my fight my Thai boxing fight I did that at all the training one year on a vegan diet or plant-based diet I've done fully carnivore um and everything in between so I was experimenting with, even with raw, uh, eating a lot of raw meat at the time. And uh, even like chicken liver, I was eating it raw. Lamb, I was eating it raw. And my suspicion is that that is how I get—I get, I got some parasites, right? I just, I got a little bit too too brave with my experimentation. I've always been like that. <laughs> a little bit too crazy sometimes with the experiments. So anyway, so I... I I started my functional diagnostic nutrition course in 2019 early 2019 and the first test I ran that cuz you you do all the tests uh on yourself first so you, that's how you you learn best so I did a a test called the Dutch test which is uh, which stands for um dried urine test for comprehensive hormones and with that test you can see your cortisol how it how it looks on a, um from day to night you can see all your estrogens, your androgens, you know, your testosterone. You can see a bunch of other uh, organic acids per- pertaining to detoxification, B vitamin status. So I remember very, very well, I, I was kind of on a on a couple of days trip to Bulgaria and I, I was on the call, on the phone with my mentor to, to discuss the test. So she sent me the test. I opened the test and my testosterone was way down, like literally it could be like 60 year old man's uh, testosterone, It maybe even lower. Um, it was way built out of the the bottom of the range, and then oh my, just oh my, my cortisol was out of whack. So, so she, uh, started, I started. I I was so taken aback because I was taking so many supplements, doing all these biohacks. I was like, this can't be right. I think the the lab, the lab have, have got it wrong. So she started saying, you know, this could be parasites, or it could be heavy metals. So I I dude, I even called the lab uh, in the U.S. I'm like, guys, what's the chance that you you, you did the test wrong? She's like, well, what are you? what are you calling us just talk to your provider why are you like no they were very nice but like what are you like this guy is like just can't accept i almost couldn't accept that my testosterone was so low and stuff like that so anyway so she prompted this prompted me to do a stool test and i ran a stool test and with my other with the main mentor we were discussing the stool test so i had giardia blastocystis hominis which are which are parasitic blasto is a, a protozoa which is kind of a next-level advanced bacteria that can also travel up your bile duct into your liver. These guys are nasty as hell. I had candida, and it's very hard to see candida on a stool test because um, for, for due to methodological reasons, it's better to to detect candida with a urine test. But it, I had so much candida, even on the stool test, it was like showing up crazy high. Then I had a bunch of dysbiotic, a um, uh, bunch of, you know, Morganella, Pseudomonas, whatever, a bunch of dysbiotic overgrowth type bacteria which are generally not a problem unless you have dysbiosis some type of imbalance in the gut so i was like whoa this is crazy i have to do the mother of all parasite cleanses so i started with the with the garlics and the oreganos and i started researching herbs and probiotics so with with that is where kind of this this interest into gut health because i i I had the issue um and I started to correlate a lot of things like like next next thing was my mother I still hadn't even gra- graduated and I was like my mother definitely had H pylori I was like she, all the symptoms she's complaining of that sounds like exactly H pylori which is one of the bacteria we studied that they taught us about so I I so the day I graduated I ran I, I got I got the stool test ran it on her and I was exactly right and since then. Every person that I've ran the, the stool test, I've always tried to, in my mind, or I'd sometimes tell the person, I, I think you have this or that. Let's see what the test returns. And pretty much every single time, we're spot on. And my mentor told me, you will be surprised how often you're right. If you think someone has you know, heavy metals, they'll have heavy metals. If you think someone has a lot of candida, they'll have that. So so it was my own journey, and then wanting to help a family member. And then over the the last few years, I just literally Almost every single person that I've tested for other things, not necessarily gut-related, everybody that comes to me, usually quite a lot of dysfunction, Um, they always have something related to to the gut that needs to be improved. So over the years, I just have learned all the tools that are required, you know, probiotics, liver flushes, um, digestive support, uh, binders, enemas. When when I kind of talk to a person, I know exactly which of these things in what in what order they need to do in order to restore function to the gut as quickly as possible.
0: Do you have any symptoms of all the stuff that was going on with you before you found out, you know, prior to the lab <laughs> tests?
1: That is such a good question because I was so again, it's 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 when you're doing all these biohacks and taking all these supplements, you can actually mask a lot of problems. Mm. So I, I started thinking back, right? Okay, my testosterone was low. I started. I did notice my libido had gone down. I noticed I was waking up at 3 at night almost every night and couldn't fall back asleep, which is a, a classic sign of parasites. Um, I noticed I was waking up very early, and um, I would be drinking up to two liters of coffee a day to keep going. So just oh, I started correlating all these things, and then I I remember when I when I started my 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 gut cleanse and I stopped drinking coffee for about a week. It took me like the the first three four days. My wife, she oh, well, she was my girlfriend at the time. She's like, I was so worried about you. were just sit lying on the couch, and I had no energy. You know, I was just like, I was just lying on the couch, and. Man, like when you, that's the thing, a lot of people, It's a, the, the reason why it's a good question is a lot of people that maybe in their 30s or 40s or 50s, they, they're like, I'm fine, I'm totally fine. And when you start to, to kind of drill down, yeah, but like, oh, I, I don't feel good if I do this. I, I can't do that. I can't exercise anymore. Um, I have to have like three coffees. Uh, otherwise, like I start yawning in the afternoon. I'm not sleeping too well. So when you actually drill down, people have a lot of stuff going on a lot of the time and they're not feeling fine. They're just getting propped up by the coffee or by the stimulants or, and then they're getting calmed down by the wine or the weed or whatever else. So yeah, just to answer your question, man, like when you start thinking about it, you, there was so many things, so many things. And then once I, once I kind of resolved them, then I was, I was back to my vitality. I did a few liver flushes. I was doing like detoxing with infrared lights, uh, you know, sweating a lot, uh, testing my hair for for metals. A lot of metals were coming out of me, and I just like w- the way I was. I, I was like I'm I'm optimum. I'm taking all this stuff, but a year later, the way I was, I was like it's like night and day. I was like, um, uh, uh Richard was his name. Was that Hawking guy? I don't want to sound too un- not PC. The dude in the wheelchair that died.
0: Oh, Stephen Hawking.
1: Stephen Hawking and freaking, you know, the Incredible Hawk, You know that I went right. from that to that. You know, no offense to, to to Hawking. He was a cool dude.
0: Right. So I mean, you 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 mentioned earlier when I asked you what kind of symptoms or what kind of. Um what kind of ways you knew that something was going wrong. You mentioned like a decreased libido, um, which I think in most cases is probably everybody can easily recognize as a, uh, if, well, here's the truth. If you don't recognize it, your partner recognizes it. Um, Decreased libido is a pretty much a hallmark of things that are not really operating at, at optimal level there. Now, I think in men, we, Pretty much, we know what that looks like, and every, so does everyone else. But what does a decrease libido necessarily look like in a woman?
1: So, with women, it's 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 complex. It's complex. But um, uh, so with men, you know, I'll tell you one thing: a great barometer for your general health and your your um androgenic tone, let's say, is um, um was it called nocturnal penile tumescence okay right so morning wood <laughs> right that's, Right, yeah. so we we know that so right. if, if a dude in his 30s is not getting a lot of morning wood um that's probably an indication you you, you may be you may be not optimal right with women it's a little bit harder i suppose uh, one of the one of the things you you kind of um So with women, it goes hand in hand with um, PMS or or premenstrual uh, uh, syndrome type symptoms. I I suppose it all depends on the couple. So with some couples, if the woman uh, sort of is free in herself to initiate sex, clearly her not stopping initiation of sex is a sign of of lower libido. Not not uh, vaginal dryness, you know, during intercourse is another sign that something with the hormones is not not not, not optimal. And usually, what that means is uh, the estrogen uh, the the progesterone the estrogen to progesterone ratio is higher in favor of the estrogen. So that's actually very common in women nowadays. Um, that also feeds into so when you when a woman is having, you know, amenorrhea or dysmenorrhea, so pain, pain um, uh, prior to to, uh, kind of the last, uh, the week or so before the period begins, these are all signs, again, of uh, of sex hormone imbalances, right? So, it's a little bit, with women, it's a little bit harder because, uh, like, if the couple were in a good place, um, uh, you know, emotionally and physically, if the... If the man, if 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 the if the guy initiates sex, the woman will sort of, you know, she will she won't refuse, right? So it's not it's not as easy to to say, um, you know, her libido is low because she's not refusing. If she refuses sex, obviously she's not in the mood at all, right? Um, So it's kind of hard. You really would need to to know the person. They will have to have a, a an internal sort of compass. So let's say, do I would I initiate sex right now if if I if I had the choice? And if if the answer is like a let's say on a one to ten, if the answer is like under a four, probably something something with the sex hormones is out of whack. Right. I I'm not a, a woman in like no I don't, I don't think any man is an expert in this kind of things, women's stuff. So that was the, my 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 best answer.
0: Well, sure. Um, I think I was just trying to fi- figure out if we were talking about maybe just a strictly, um, uh, mechanical sort of um. A failure happening or is it more just kind of like emotional uh that's kind of where i was going at with that no. with that question there so
1: with 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 women it's it's getting much more complex but right guys with guys i can for sure say that just because you can achieve an erection does not actually mean that you you are anywhere close to to optimal in terms of your right how your testosterone and it's also the the estrogen to testosterone ratio also matters because there's a lot of guys that even like uh bodybuilders know this very well you can get the testosterone level very high but because it directly aromatizes into estrogen uh you you have to be very careful because having a very high estrogen even with a high testosterone can have a lot of negative effects in men
0: right right so i mean just kind of kind Of dramatically switch gears here. So, um, now you, you said earlier that your, your children's health podcast was mainly centered around autism, but now then you um you broadened it to make mm-hmm. it more encompassing of childhood uh health in general mm-hmm. here. But what was the interest in uh autism and how does how and does that tie into everything that we've talked about so far?
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> again, all of these. Uh, or a, a lot of what influenced me to to get really deep into the health space is just seeing, seeing family members around me deteriorate. My grandmother, my mother, you know, my mm-hmm. my granddad. Um, and as I was doing that in twenty eighteen, kind of the, the the second half of twenty eighteen, somebody in my family, uh, 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 one of the one of the young boys, he was suspected of being on the spectrum. So at the time, I was reading a book. Um, by uh uh, dr william walsh called nutrient power and it had a chapter on autism so i was like wow okay i I was kind of avoiding that chapter because i I wasn't interested i was interested in you know schizophrenia and he was working with serial killers and testing their hair and blood chemistry and depression we have that running in the family so i was like let me check this this autism stuff and then uh I immediately saw, so he's been doing this for for decades already, and he started talking about, you know, copper, uh, elevated copper, uh, low zinc, uh, low selenium, gut dysfunction, just uh, a lot of nutrient or nutritional status type issues that are actually quite common in a lot of other health issues, including the ones I just listed, you know, schizophrenia, depression, depression. so a lot of these things share very similar uh, biochemical imbalances. So I started digging into that and I started um, trying to basically help this family with the with the kid that, that is suspected is on the spectrum. And um, I, I, I literally, I, I just started uh, reading the studies that he cited in, in the chapter of his book. And that literally every study has like 100 to 300 references. So that led me down a rabbit hole over the next, I suppose, year, year and a half. Um, It culminated into into me deciding to write uh, a book in order. So because I just I was trying to help some parents on on Facebook groups and stuff like that, and people were like super dismissive, (laughs) even though I I put together a 70 page book uh, with lots of uh, research and whatever else. But it was just a PDF, you know, a a work doc. So I was like, nobody will actually take me seriously with any of this stuff. It's so powerful. Literally, you could, in my opinion, this is my opinion. A lot of these kids, you could completely reverse it. Like, this is my opinion. I'm not medical advice or anything uh, to anyone out there. But um, so it's very powerful information. So I said they will only take me seriously when I publish a book with all the research cited in the back. So that's what I did in eight in eight months with a lot of coffee and a lot of nootropic supplements and a lot of time at the computer. I wrote, researched, wrote, edited, and Basically, published this book in eight months. So, in March in March 2020 is when when I published it. Before the just as the big lockdown started happening, so that kind of threw a spanner in the big launch I was expecting. But that's kind of how I got into autism. And I'll tell you, Sean, this is like what one area where it's been it's been very very painful to see how how difficult it is to To get through to a lot of parents because they usually they they kind of go through the medical system when their child is diagnosed and they're they're literally they're um, just told it's there's no cure it's for life and um, you know it's genetic so there's nothing you can do so their com- their wings are completely clipped from day one it's a devastating thing and I, I believe a lot of these parents they just they don't they ha- don't have any hope they don't believe anything can be done but I I was talking to one lady. Somebody introduced me to her on f- through Facebook. Um, her her I think she was from California, or they lived in California, and her son was the youngest child ever to be diagnosed with autism. I think at six or eight months of age, and she did all of the things, like all the things I, I discuss in my book, and then some. And her her son is like eighteen or nineteen at this point, maybe twenty twenty one. And she said that he's completely. Uh, Neurotypical, except if if he stops taking certain supplements, there there is certain things that he regresses around. But that's kind of the power, I believe, of just nutrients and just identifying with a few simple lab tests, uh, chemical, biochemical, uh, gut, metabolic imbalances. And again, this is this isn't just for autism. I believe any any non-terminal condition or disease or or whatever you want to call it, if you start intervening early enough and including cancer i'll, I'll add for multiple sclerosis if you start intervening early enough the right way i believe a lot of these things are complete uh, able uh, people are able to completely restore their health to the prior days where they didn't have that condition
0: well that kind of goes back that kind of uh falls back on the uh, medical profession doesn't it because that requires an official di- official diagnosis i mean a lot of times no treatment starts unless something gets officially diagnosed, and sometimes that that comes too late. So that's not yeah. necessarily on the parents if we're talking about autism oh, or anything. No. yeah, it it, it it really is on the backs of the uh, medical doctor, isn't it?
1: Yeah, man. But uh, look, I, for the parents, all I have for the parents is, is compassion and empathy, bro. Right. Honestly, that's all I that's all I have. I it's for me, it's exactly it's the system is so messed up because if you if you it's so infuriating. It they, they have this uh phrase the wait and see approach so i i was talking to one lady in, in africa I, I kind of helped them out for a while with their child so um their kid dude for months and months wouldn't poop like literally they had to just induce uh a poop with a, a douche you know like an enema it's a horrible experience for the kid and the parents of course but um so they, they took this kid left right and center um uh, they, they went to a gastroenterologist, and this is many many cases like this, not not just one. I'm just giving one example: gastroenterologist, neurologist, pediatric neurologist, etc. And um, they, they would be like, you know, like come back in six months. Literally, they'd be like, do nothing, no tests. Like, yeah, you know, come back in six months and see how he is. It could be like a, a this could be a, and it wasn't just a constipation, but I'm just this could be a delay. That could be a delay. Her older son apparently they diagnosed him with autism and then a couple of years later they took away the diagnosis but you see zero help was actually conf- uh, given to these parents until they, until they actually talked to me, right? I told them, go go do some blood tests. They couldn't, we couldn't get any tests, uh, like the more advanced tests to Africa, they were too expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they managed to get some uh, supplements from the States. But until, dude, like years and years, until uh, someone like me that kind of knew what to do, until the, the, the system, and this is, we're talking millions of people, zero help. If, if you're lucky, they'll provide zero help with many people they just make it worse unfortunately with with you know if you, if you talk about um, certain <clears throat> medications that just kind of block off metabolic pathways deplete certain things or just mm-hmm. cause imbalances. so if you're lucky they'll, they'll, they'll do nothing and in many cases they'll just make it worse so it's very painful to watch for me um, and to be honest I, I don't even know I don't even know what to say further you know
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, this is, uh, autism obviously is very complex and nobody really fully understands it, but if you could tell us, like, what don't we understand about autism? Because I know, I know next to nothing about it other than what might be, you know, considered extreme versions versus something that's more like Asperger's.
1: Yeah. I think what the average person on the street doesn't know is that, and most parents don't know, which is why I wrote the book is and a lot of doctors probably don't know. (laughs) I'd say most doctors probably still don't know um, is that uh, these kids are suffering. If you take an average autistic kid that's five years old or six, seven years old, they're invariably going to have one or more of the following. So uh, decreased ability to detoxify toxins like heavy metals and chemicals increased toxic metal burden gut dysfunction candida bacterial overgrowth, low levels of quote unquote you know beneficial bacteria a lot of food sensitivities, immune system dysregulation um, and, and there's a number of other things right that I, I discuss in the book so what the average person doesn't know is a lot of these things have been Correlated with autism severity, so gut dysfunction, toxic metals. Um, I'm trying to think what else? Certain I- immune system d- irregularity or dysregulation type things. So a lot of these things, the, the the I guess to to explain basically, kids with let's say that had higher levels of uh, toxic metals detected, or scored worse on gut dysfunction uh, criteria, tended to have. "Quote unquote, higher severity autism than the kids than the opposite, right? So, what people need to understand is that our biochemical state and our nutritional status and how uh, you know how well we're able to detoxify foreign compounds coming in, what, the amount of a burden we have uh, of those foreign compounds on the body will greatly uh, influence our." not just our, our physical health but our psychological health our, our mental state because the body and the mind are one if when you think about it <clears throat> um w- when you think a thought you are literally creating proteins you're you you are influencing so that the the emotions are mediated by things like dopamine serotonin you know neurotransmitters um uh, hormones you know estrogen testosterone so these things literally we can influence those uh like you can literally change your hormonal milieu just by thinking things like if you if you start imagining um you know uh a, a, an axe wielding murderer chasing you down a dark hallway you will literally you, if if we have like a um a continuous monitoring of, of your um uh, you know, of your blood, your cortisol will start rising, your adrenaline will start rising, rising, other things will start rising. So we, so the mind and the body are one. So if someone, like let's say someone has, just to give another example, has Alzheimer's or dementia, it's not like some weird genetic thing, or the person isn't like, or if someone is not not very, let's say, bright. Um, I know some people are, you know, more s- s- smarter than others, but a lot of the times these things are. Affected by um, just our diet lifestyle and environment, I guess that is what uh, what I'm trying to say right uh, so without going too too far away from the from from your question, a lot of these kids have uh, imbalances that are easily tested for easily testable. So with simple urine test, dried blood spot test, you can do at home, stool testing, we can very quickly identify vitamin B deficiencies. We can see if toxi- too many toxic metals are, are being excreted in the hair or very little. If very little toxic metals are being excreted in the hair, that generally means the person's state of health is not good because everybody should have some some excretion of toxic metals. So when it's very low, it generally means the person is not detoxifying very well with a stool test or a urine test we can check for again east candida bacteria so what the average person doesn't know but should know i believe or, or and the average parent is and not necessarily if their kid has autism or whatever but whenever you see like a like a a, a mental issue with a person uh moodiness etc <clears throat> it is very often mediated by a physical biochemical thing. For example, just one final example, Sean, I know I'm rambling here. But with depression, sorry, with depression, like uh, if you take endotoxin, which is a toxin, which is a part of a bacterial cell wall that certain bacteria that live in our gut uh, exude when they die, right? So endotoxin is uh, a toxin found in the gut. If you take it and inject it into a volunteer in a study, you can mimic effects of depression. You can you can reduce their cognition right with so uh, in depression very often the gut there's some type of uh, either gut dysfunction or some type of energy production problem. so uh, low thyroid uh, you know lower genome output so a lot of things that again are uh, mental we, we think like ADhD depression autism schizophrenia they have uh, what created the the outer manifestation, the psychological manifestation, is very often, if not always, some type of biochemical cascade, some type of biochemical imbalances. Uh, uh, for example, with um, schizophrenia, they they use like high doses of pregnenolone, the the steroid precursor, which you can get over the counter. So they they've done studies with that, with 500 milligrams a day. They were curing schizophrenia back in I think in the 60s. So with when you take a person, be that a person with depression, uh, even with bipolar disorder or autism or ADHD, if you identify their biochemical imbalances, which we all have to, to an extent, and you ameliorate or address them, very often you're, you're going to see trim, sometimes complete restoration again.
0: Um with something like ADHD and autism, I mean, we talked a lot about the biochemical testing of it, like in the blood and the, or in the fecal matter. Um, is that is that as easily as uh, detectable and like on brain scans and stuff like that, where you're you're measuring neuroactivity, like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or something like that? Like, can you actually see like the difference between the on the imaging between like someone who has autism on one end, however mild it might be. And versus somebody who is not diagnosed with autism.
1: I've actually not really, I'm not really dug deep into the brain scanning and imaging side of things, to be honest. So I can't really speak to that.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm just sort of curious there because we know with Alzheimer's, like we can see physical, there's physical building of plaque uh, building up in the brain. Um, And I just kind of wonder if if that was sort of similar.
1: I'll tell you. If Just regarding Alzheimer's, I have one neighbor here that I believe that's what he has or some type of dementia because we, we're here like two or three years and every time he sees me out with the dog, he will always ask me if she is a lady and he'll tell you the same things. He doesn't remember recent events, but he could talk about, you know, um, stuff that happened 30 years ago. Um, so definitely he has something. And this is one thing I, on my journey as a, as a health practitioner, it's, it's been painful to realize i cannot help everybody mm. but if that person was my parent or or like someone close to me that i could like, let's say reach if, if i could tell his wife what would i tell his wife to, to give that person or, or let, let's say if it was, it was my my partner just so i'm not giving fucking medical advice i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> so i would st- yes there is plaques building up uh, we can see right uh in in alzheimer's but um when it comes to when it comes to it, I believe a lot of a lot of um, what's causal behind um, Alzheimer's is a lot of the polyunsaturated fatty acids, so omega six type seed oils. I believe if you look at a lot of people are like, oh, look at sugar, look at sugar consumption, and then juxtapose that on disease stats, and uh, the two go hand in hand. But you could kind of do the same thing with seed oils. And when you actually really start to understand the molecular mechanisms, it's Uh, sugar in the absence of seed oils I don't think would really do all that much damage and you really uh, in order to start um, lipogenesis creating fat out of carbohydrates you need to eat like a pound of, of carbohydrates or a pound of sugar a day to start actually creating fats right but in the presence of seed oils now we, we talk talking seriously horrendous damage because um for, for many reasons right so with someone with alzheimer's i believe a lot of that neurodegeneration is is coming from uh, the there's a lot of these fats Fatty acids circulating around the body, and the body will use whatever it has. It's like you're building a house and constantly renovating a house, and you don't you're running out of bricks. So I'm giving you a bunch of polyunsaturated fatty acids, like you know, empty coke bottles. So you're putting coke bottles in the in the wall instead of bricks here and there. And if you do, if you take in enough, and this is like this is our uh, my granny that I believe that's what caused her atherosclerosis. People were literally drenching everything in seed oils here in the south of Portugal, right? So, if you do that on a long enough timeline, coupled with accumulating toxic exposure, there's a lot of oxidative stress getting caused in the body, and a lot of peroxidation of these fatty acids. Now, these fatty acids have become parts of neurons, parts of you know brain cells, out other, other cells, uh, cellular membranes. So they they become uh, uh, less they have less integrity than a cell with saturated fatty acids in the in the, kind of in the outer layer. So a lot of this degeneration is because of seed oils to begin with and the lack of antioxidants to protect. So a person with Alzheimer's, I would, or let's say myself or my wife, whatever, just touch wood, I would start really pumping a lot of vitamin E into that person, like high-quality, full-spectrum vitamin E because vitamin E... Uh, helps to protect these polyunsaturated fatty acids from peroxidation. And when they get peroxidized or they get burned for fuel you know, in the mitochondria, they cause a, lo- a lot of extra damage around them. And that damage can be literally either damaging to the cellular components or the cells themselves, or it can be carcinogenic. So vitamin E would be something that would ameliorate that very quickly and uh there's another supplement i've been researching recently it's uh, methylene blue so they they apparently they've, dude i apparently, i just found out today they're doing studies with methylene blue that they were curing alzheimers with it right so i would start really removing all the polyunsaturated fatty acids i would start adding antioxidants and all the minerals of course that are lacking from the diet and i'll start adding real saturated fat but not too much to the diet with high-quality protein and a decent amount of uh, fructose and glucose. You, apparently, the if you take glucose and fructose together, fructose doesn't actually require insulin to be metabolized, but it helps to metabolize the glucose. So when you take even sucrose or honey, it has less of a glycemic impact than starch like potatoes or bread. So I think we've been demonizing sugar Uh, uh, maybe the industry has been kind of the, the the seed oil industry, big, big agri has been using sugar as a scapegoat. Whilst the seed oils are the real driver of disease in our society.
0: So you, you said uh, just a moment ago, like you, you live in South Portugal, right? And uh, there's a lot of use of seed oils uh, in the dieting. Are you referring to the famous Mediterranean diet? No. So so the,
1: the Mediterranean diet, the Mediterranean diet purportedly is super awesome, be- and uh-huh. because they, they use um um olive fish, oil, olive oil, yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah but f- fish, fish has it doesn't really have monounsaturated. So olive oil is monounsaturated fat predominantly, with a little bit of poly and a tiny bit of saturated. Mm-hmm. Uh, fish will have generally will have a little bit of you know omega three polyunsaturated. And um, But the thing is, uh, if you if you take uh, the um, Mediterranean diet, it has a lot of nuts. A lot of those nuts, uh, a lot of that we have omega-6s. But the Mediterranean diet itself is great, especially when it's seasonal, fresh, organic, etc. But if you look at what people are eating now or how people are cooking at home, when you go to the supermarket here, you can literally buy a, more than a gallon. It's a five-liter tub of... Sunflower oil. So people fry everything in it. They make pastries with it. If you go any any processed product, pretty much like in the states, um, uh, you know you have those pastries, whatever fried bits and pieces, uh, uh, fried potatoes in the restaurants. Everything is with these. Um, some, most in in Europe here, it's mostly sunflower oil. In the states, it's probably a lot more soybean oil now. But um, so despite the so despite the fact that. Yes, we we eat fish here and we eat these other things. They're great. The seed oils are, have permeated society, our diet so holy that, um, you know, there's almost no escaping them. You have to literally, like, you have to be a little bit orthorexic. Uh, I kind of tell my clients. When it comes to seed oils, this is the one area where I allow you to be a little bit orthorexic and crazy about it. It's that important.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Why do you think it caught on so well? Or- because they're cheap. Oh. So think
1: about it like this, right? So sugar was great mm-hmm. uh, when, when it was start. They started mass producing sugar, and you know, today I was kind of thinking, yes, sugar, sugar and disease do go up in tandem. But also, when if you look at sh- uh, sugar. Uh, production and sugar consumption it also kind of coincides with the industrial revolution this huge mm-hmm. upswing in society and technology so i'm not even sugars is all that bad now i personally don't need sugar on its own i like honey and fruit and stuff like that but um uh this, so sugar was they were adding a lot of sugar in everything you know soft drinks and stuff like that but seed oils are even cheaper and you're adding even more calories, right? And you, you know, you, to, to make a food really tasty, you can put sugar, you can put, uh, fat. If you put the two together, you know, we're talking cake, cheesecake, it's, it's awesome. So it's a really cheap ingredient to add bulk and calories and, and whatever else you need to food at, at a very low cost. So I think that's really the main reason why, why it's being used. Now, if you want to turn conspiracy, tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist, I think, uh, the 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 people that want to control society are enjoying the fact that these are these omega six polyunsaturated fatty acids are highly estrogenic, highly inflammatory. You know they're mediators for a, a bunch of things like prostaglandins, leukotrienes, things that are. That cause inflammation and damage in the body. So probably, if, if I was uh, someone that wanted to to have people uh, to be you know weak, so they, they get diseased faster, so they can come into my lap or my hands as a pharmaceutical industry, so I can give them the remedy for their ills. I'd be happy to to continue subsidizing. Which by the way, seed oil or the the seed crop uh, industry is very heavily subsidized by the U.S. government. So you can you can see why it's so cheap. And so prevalent as well. That's another reason.
0: So, all right. So you you wrote this book on on autism. (laughs) Was it specifically autism? You you wrote you wrote a couple of books, or is that the only one? Just the one. one? Just the one. Okay. So you know you've done all this. You've done all this work. You've become proficient in metabolic health, in personal training, Mm -hmm. and breathing. Uh, You've written a book. You know. Um, So what's next for you?
1: I mean, I, I, I'd love to write. I have ideas for maybe three, three books or so at the moment. But I also have ideas for courses. So, I'm. I I, I thought I it would come to me by now, but I'm still wondering what's what's really next for me to, to to do. I, at the moment I'm really enjoying working with clients one to one, just impacting people at, at a deep level, just helping helping to really address things and create habits for life that will really serve them. But I know that won't really scale. Uh, and it's it's kind of not exhausting. I really love it. But it's, it's a lot of work. And I wish I could reach more people. So I'm going to probably start working on a, on a on a more broad-based book. I have this great book all about longevity. Because that's how I got into health. It was all about reversing the damage I did to my body in my 20s with my poor lifestyle. So I got into longevity and all this biohacking for that reason. So I have an idea for a book that is all about getting back to thriving, which is kind of the title. So please don't don't anybody steal the title of my 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 my, uh, hopefully uh, to be out soon book. Not soon, but in the next couple of years. So yeah, I'm... I wanna I wanna reach more people and I, I another thing I, I kind of want to focus on is helping parents to be prepared better. I think uh, this is another thing I another belief of mine that is well supported, of course, by evidence is a lot of autism and childhood conditions are a result of suboptimal health in the mother, especially uh, to begin with, right? So if we can uh, teach uh, young young couples how to take better care of themselves, how to to get the woman detoxed and healthy and her nutritional status really up there, especially the minerals, because it it can take years to truly replenish mineral levels to optimal levels. Um, If we can do that and teach these people all about diet supplementation, lifestyle, things that reduce... "Quote unquote toxic burden on on the, themselves and their their family, then we're setting up that not just that child, but that fam, that entire family's lineage for multi generational good health. You know, and we are the result of our health is the result of the previous generations. If we look at the health of uh, young folks today." we're really in trouble uh, uh, the, the way the trend is looking to be set. So I believe Great. we really, we really need to, that's the, like, I love, most of my clients kind of middle-aged and, and older, but um, and I, I love doing that work. But to to make a truly big impact, we have to reach the younger folks ASAP.
0: Yeah. And that's, that point has been made before by people I've had on. It's like, you really have to, I mean, not to say that you know the ones who are middle aged now are doomed. Um, honestly, at forty years old, I'm. I think I'm middle aged. Forty? Oh, yes, I'm forty. Oh wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I didn't think well, that. Didn't well, see thank that. well, thank you. Uh, yeah, but you know when when you consider that most people typically expire around their early eighties, forty years old is midlife. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think the farther back that you look, when you, in terms of like say my son's age or my daughter's age, the people who are coming up behind me. Um, if you can tap into them or reach to them primarily, I think you're probably, you're probably going to, it's probably a much smarter strategy. Yeah. Um, again, I don't not saying that anyone who is my age or older is doomed. I don't like to think of myself as doomed. I don't think that's a healthy way of looking at anything, but I think you're exactly right about that. Um,
1: I think folks, folks. So I've worked with folks as as old as seventy two. Yeah, I have a co- couple of clients at the moment that are in their 60s. So I love working with these folks, especially because they want to help themselves. up. So I, <clears throat> I believe, um, a lot of uh, these folks, they they're a little bit, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I'm not saying they're all like rich or whatever, but they're a little bit more more comfortable. They they kind of may maybe paid off their mortgage. They they don't have as many sort of. Uh, overheads, so they can invest more in their health. So they're yeah. actually easier, easier to to, to help uh, because they have more time. But these young folks, there's so many things pulling them this that direction. They really need some type of guiding, um, not mentor, because you know we, I'm, I'm, I consider myself, you know, I'm not consider myself old enough to be anybody's mentor or wise enough yet. But they need somebody like a big brotherly support to really kind of. Uh, to nurture this in them because otherwise all the temptations of society are really going to take over.
0: Yeah. And I think that's probably, that's probably another big issue in itself is like, you know, you have younger people that are thrown into, thrown into the world without any real mentorship or leadership. Um, And that's Hmm. kind of, I mean, speaking for myself, I think that's kind of where I, I really suffered a lot. I didn't have a lot of explicit. I didn't have a lot of explicit guidance about what direction to go. And in some Same ways man. I like that. I like that freedom where I could choose my path and then take it. But then once I chose my path, I was like, okay, well, what am I gonna do from here? It's not as simple as just say, we'll start walking. Well, I can start walking. I can walk myself right off the edge of a cliff. Yeah. Um, it's it's just not helpful as much as it used it's not as helpful as much as it used to be when you had like mentorships, apprenticeships, and that kind of stuff. And just, you know. Maybe this is maybe this is really kind of Western centric because I think it's less so that in other countries like four towards the east and stuff like that where you have mm-hmm. a very clear um a very clearer a uh, clearer and larger respect for people who have been down the road and been around yeah. the block more than you. But anyways, um kind of I agree, you I agree. Completely.
1: No, <laughs> I, I agree with you, Sean. I, I, I wish I had some someone like a like a an uncle or a cousin back in the day back when i was like uh in my early late or middle and late teens to kind of just tell me you know you don't have to you know you don't have to <clears throat> uh, try to impress the guys and you don't have to yeah. co- try to be look cool because just to uh, a lot of these kids nowadays just for the sake of being accepted or, or being cool or not being a you know uh uncle whatever we do do so many stupid things and uh i wish like, now my my nephew he's kind of in in he uh, about 10 and I, I can see like my my uh, my family are struggling a little bit with him he's a little bit you know unruly and i wish i he could come here for for a few months so uh i could kind of show him you know what i value and maybe some of it will imprint on him like the value my health and value bo- reading books and value knowledge and and uh, loving nature and respecting nature and uh, uh, loving the animal world and respecting it and caring for it. These kind of things. And I think if kids see that that is cool, they will they will. Um, and not just kids, but you know, young people. If they see that that is cool. So if we influencers on Instagram on TV, they were like, you know, I'm all about you know. Uh, planting trees and um, you know uh, eating organic and like ch- growing my own food if they thought if the cool people were doing that they will think it's cool and then it would be cool to do it and I think that's that's how you change the world so we have to be a light on to others we have to basically uh, kind of try to try to set an example of how, what we wish we had like I'm trying to for example with my kids I'm, I'm sorry to digress here with my kid I want to be the dad I wish I had if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. I know yeah. what you mean. I know, yeah. I, I know what you mean perfectly. Um, Christian, we are, we start, start to wind down here now. I have a closing tradition on this podcast where uh, the person who is being interviewed, you, is going to give the listener, me and everyone who is listening, some parting words here before we sign off. So if there's one thing that you'd like people to remember, if nothing else, what would you say it would be?
1: I would say God, let me let me just think about there's so many so many sure. things I could say. Like life advice or about an- health any, or
0: anything. Anything that you want people to stick out in people's mind here because we've been on for now an hour and wow. you know they're not going to remember everything that either you or I have said. So if there's one thing you like to one seed you'd like to plant in their memory for them to carry around with, what would it be?
1: Okay, so I'll say if if you Are not if you feel like you're not thriving right now, it doesn't have to be like that. You deserve to thrive, you can thrive, you can be at optimal health for your age. If you're 80, you can and should be at the optimal level of health for your age. If you're 40, likewise. So do not accept anything less. If you're if you have fatigue or gut stuff or um, whatever energy problems or mood issues go and find somebody that understands functional medicine the functional paradigm and understand what's what's at the root of these issues and usually it's stress life some type of lifestyle thing some type of biochemical thing so you don't have to actually continue suffering too many people just live a life of suffering and pain for literally for no reason for zero brownie points from the creator from god so if you're not thriving Know that you should be and can be. And very often, it's, it's weeks or months away, at most a year or two. So get the help you need ASAP and start thriving. We need, we need people to be happy and thriving in this world because when we're all happy and thriving, we're going to create a much better world for everybody.
0: Christian, you're enough. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you, Sean. It was a pleasure, bro.
0: Yeah, it was a real pleasure. And uh, everyone, of course, you know what to expect. All of uh, Christian's um, contact information will be presented in the show notes, so look for it. you also find information to reach out to me if you want to do so as well. But uh, thank you again for everyone who is listening, to everyone who ever will listen. This is the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean. Until next time, move forever. Peace out, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments, cancel anytime. Every little bit helps, and I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's Ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. You never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.